The following sermon was delivered by Reverend Kate Dunn in the sanctuary of Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City. We welcome you to worship with us every Sunday in person or on live stream. For details, go to FAPC.org. And now, here's Reverend Dunn. Our scripture lesson for this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, so she came to Jesus and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Does anybody feel defensive besides me? I've often thought that if I had a time machine, this is one of those moments that I'd like to visit so that I could step into Martha's house right after Jesus has finished praising Mary to the heavens and tap him on the shoulder and say, excuse me, Jesus, do you have any idea how much effort goes into putting together a meal? Even an ordinary meal, not to mention a meal for a special honored guest such as yourself. Do you have any idea how much you must mean to Martha that she's invited you into her home? Do you sense her eagerness to nourish and provide for you? Do you know what it's like to be running around trying to get all the different parts of dinner ready to be served at exactly the right time? Not to mention choosing the right wine and setting out the goblets. And how would you feel, honestly now, if you were doing this all by yourself? And your sister, who of all the people in the entire world should be at your side helping, isn't lifting a finger. Doesn't even seem to notice everything that still needs to be done before you can get your dinner. Come on, Jesus. Don't you think Martha is entitled to a tiny little bit of resentment? Not to mention some concrete help in the kitchen. And since I'm already being anachronistic with my time machine, I'd be even more anachronistic and bring along a copy of the contemporary parenting classic, Siblings Without Rivalry, which I would strongly recommend that Jesus read so that he can learn about the lifelong emotional challenges inflicted by parental figures who compare siblings, praising one in the presence of another. Though I would think 
But being God, he would understand all that without having to read it in a manual. And I would probably end my tirade by reiterating Martha's plea, Lord, do you not care? Because that's what's at the root of Martha's resentment and irritation, her anxiety and worries, this underlying nagging fear that Jesus doesn't care about her, about Martha. Because if Jesus did really care, Martha reasons, she, Martha, would feel different, calmer, more serene, more focused. She would feel, well, like Mary, if Jesus cared. Of course, Mary can afford to be contemplative, attentive, attuned to Jesus, loved and adored and praised as she is by Jesus. Little Miss Perfect. That, of course, is a contemporary psychological reading of this story. The early church remembered these two sisters and their brother Lazarus not as rivals for Jesus' affection, but for their faithful discipleship. And because, as the Gospel of John records, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In John's Gospel, Mary anoints Jesus' feet with oil and wipes them with her hair. And Martha herself makes the central Christological confession of the Gospels. It is Martha who says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. We know that Martha and Mary both served Jesus faithfully and that Jesus loved them both. And yet, here in Luke is this story that has made readers like me and other Marthas, happy homemakers, willing meal preparers, eager guest welcomers, though we are, feel unappreciated, misunderstood, and defensive. The authors of Siblings Without Rivalry <clears throat> illustrate their arguments with cartoon images showing parent-child interactions complete with hurtful or helpful parental statements, and the corresponding thought bubbles of the children. In one picture, the mother scolds, Don't you dare call me slow. Your sister never talks to me that way. And the thought bubble over the child's head reads, Everything I do is wrong. Everything she does is right. Another picture shows a child being favorably compared to a sibling, thinking, Mom loves me the best. When I read Martha and Mary's story as one of sibling rivalry, I imagine Martha thinking, everything I do is wrong. Everything she does is right. And Mary snickering at Jesus' feet saying, see Martha, Jesus loves me best. But of course, neither of those statements would be true. Jesus does not tell Martha that everything she does is wrong, and he does not tell Mary that he loves her best. 
And in fact, if Mary actually were thinking that Jesus loves her best, we can trust that Jesus would not be lifting her up as an example. As it is, Mary's focus on Jesus protects her from being distracted by Martha's faults. Mary feels no need to draw Jesus' attention and sympathy to herself at her sister's expense. Mary trusts Jesus' love which grounds her. That most wise, secular study of human relationships, Pride and Prejudice, which as many of you know, is my favorite novel, is a love story in which Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy learns to overcome his pride in thinking that he is superior to the Bennett family, and Miss Elizabeth Bennett learns to overcome her prejudice in thinking that Mr. Darcy has no redeeming qualities whatsoever in order to learn that they are, in fact, soulmates. In one of my favorite scenes, another woman, Miss Bingley, who has been actively pursuing Mr. Darcy, becomes concerned about what she correctly perceives as Mr. Darcy's growing admiration for Elizabeth Bennet. Miss Bingley's insecurity drives her to point out to Mr. Darcy every conceivable flaw she can find in Elizabeth. She sums up her critique by saying, I remember how amazed we all were to find that she was a reported beauty. And I particularly recollect your saying, she a beauty? I should as soon call her mother a wit. At which point Mr. Darcy says, yes, but that was only when I first knew her. For it is many months since I have considered her as one of the handsomest women of my acquaintance. And the wise omniscient narrator says, Miss Bingley was left to all the satisfaction of having forced him to say what gave no one any pain but herself. That is exactly what Martha does in this story. Jesus does not initiate the comparison between the two sisters. Martha does. Feeling neglected, she tries to draw Jesus' attention to herself by pointing out Mary's perceived flaws and ends up hurting herself more by eliciting Jesus' candid response that not only does he not consider Mary's behavior flawed, he considers it exemplary. Martha wants to hear Jesus say, Oh, Martha, you poor thing. Look how hard you've been working for me all by yourself with no one to help you. Come on now, Mary, enough sitting around. Get up and help your sister. It's not fair to expect her to do all the housework and meal preparation without any help. Martha, thank you for bringing this unjust situation to my attention. That's what Martha wants to hear. But what Jesus says is, Martha, Martha. Love and concern exude from that repetition of her name, from the shepherd who knows his sheep, and not only calls her by name, but names her feelings too. Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. 
He doesn't rebuke her for being in an anxious place. He invites her to a better place. There is need of one thing only. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. I don't know how many of you follow Sister Monica Clare on TikTok, but if you don't yet, you may want to start. Sister Monica is the Sister Superior of the Community of St. John Baptist, a religious order for women in the Episcopal Church in Mendham, New Jersey, which is where many women from this church have gone for retreat. In one of my favorite of her videos, she says, Hi, I'm Sister Monica. I'm an Episcopal nun, and let's talk about sin. She then offers her definition of sin as anything that causes harm to ourselves or to another human being. And her understanding of God as a perfect, loving parent. She goes on to say, there is nothing you can ever do that would make God stop loving you. Why is that? Because as a perfect, loving parent, here's a newsflash, God wants us to be happy. God wants us to enjoy life, which is a gift from God. God wants us to stay away from behaviors that cause destruction to ourselves and other people. But here's the other part of it. God doesn't judge us or reject us for these sins of ours, these self-destructive behaviors, because God knows what drives those behaviors. God sees the trauma, the emotional pain that drives that self-destruction. So what God really wants us to do is ask God to help us heal that. I'm sure that all of us have had our Martha moments, times when our worries and distractions have led us to draw destructive comparisons between ourselves and our siblings and fueled the desire to take away from others a peace that we don't feel ourselves. We know it's not admirable behavior, this catty criticizing of others, not to mention this off effort to boss Jesus around. We know that just as that strong, loving, faithful disciple, Martha, knew in her heart that she wasn't making the better spiritual choice. What should we do when we find ourselves feeling unappreciated and overburdened? When we find ourselves noticing and focusing on the failures and shortcomings of our siblings, our neighbors, or when we think we've figured out exactly what God should do to fix all the problems we see. Or when we find our hearts wondering if God cares about us. What should we do when we find ourselves feeling like Martha? How do we, like Mary, choose the better part? Honestly, I think Martha offers a faithful example for us to emulate. Where better to begin 
than by saying, Lord, and unburdening our souls of all the doubt and insecurity and anger and bitterness we feel, that unburdening may lead to God's guidance toward a better way. We may recognize that when we say God's in charge of the universe, but act like it's all up to us, we inflict on ourselves a false sense of responsibility, which requires us to be emotionally activated all the time. We feel compelled to move fast doing this and doing that because the world's a hot mess and we need to be part of the solution. And so we live with chronic stress, which impairs our abilities, tires us out, makes it harder for us to do complex tasks or imagine creative paths we could take to address the problems we see. The Trappist monk Thomas Merton, in his book Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander, wrote about the political upheaval of the 1960s during the time of the Cold War and the Vietnam War and the nuclear arms race, a time when many people might also have thought that the world was a hot mess. Merton writes, to allow oneself to be carried away by a multitude of conflicting concerns, to surrender to too many demands, to commit to too many projects, to want to help everyone in everything is itself to succumb to the violence of our times. Does God really give us permission to be gentle with ourselves? To take time for rest? Time for Sabbath? Time for learning? Time for quiet prayer? Time to sit and do nothing helpful? Time to think of things besides everything that still needs to get done? Time to simply exist in the loving presence of God? Isn't that just a cop-out, an excuse to do nothing in a world full of injustice and desperate need? But what if it's not a cop-out? Suppose we trust that God really does want us to choose this better part. How do we do it? Maybe we can imagine what Mary experiences as she's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him. Acceptance, love, rest. Renewal, trust, openness, hope, awe. Does Mary understand herself as beloved? Is she gaining insight into what God wants her to do with the gifts and opportunities she's been given? Is she able to dream and imagine ways in which this world full of needs and tasks and demands can become a world of peace and justice, a world where God's will is done here on earth as it is in heaven.
is her soul being replenished while she sits at Jesus' feet and listens. That's what I imagine Mary experiences. And I think Martha needs all those experiences too. She needs to practice self-care. She needs to preserve her emotional and physical resources. She needs to give herself time to pause and be in the presence of God. What if Jesus is pulling for the side of us that rests, that listens, that dreams and wonders? What if Jesus wants us to practice pausing, cultivating renewal, so that we can flourish? What if God wants us to be rested, not exhausted, questioning, not certain, focusing on God's benevolence, not our neighbor's faults? Perhaps if we can trust that God wants this better part for all of us, then when we do call out to God, we'll hear exactly what we need to hear. Martha, Martha, Kate, Kate, your name, your pain, fully known and understood by God. And then perhaps we'll feel God's invitation, God's honest, gentle guidance toward a better path that won't be taken away from us. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen.